0: welcome to app talk with uptick where we dig into the nitty-gritty of how to grow apps and games we speak with industry experts about specific strategies tools and tactics they use to find success and we keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing games marketing and technology ecosystem my name is xander agosta director of marketing at uptick and joining me today are my co host
1: Warren Woodward, co-founder of Uptick, and our guest,
2: Antonio Garcia Martinez, uh, doer of various things and writer, uh, writer of a few others.
1: <laughs> yeah, welcome, Antonio. Appreciate you uh, joining us today. Um, you actually came on our radar in a weird way, especially in hindsight. So, um, Antonio got got introduced to to me from a mutual friend because he's building, uh, you know, he's working on the problem of of analytics and attribution for Web3, which is something that Uptick is super deeply researched in. I'm like, yeah, I got to talk to this guy. And only after the last time that we talked, I saw your name pop up somewhere. And I was like, wait, who's this guy? And I was like, oh, Antonio is a person of some notoriety. (laughs) And yeah, but has quite a colorful past. Um, So I think maybe this will be a fun interview for you because like, probably one of the uh, minority of conversations where we're just like, no, we just really want to talk to you about Web3 attribution. You know, um, and uh, all that uh, all that stuff in your past is quite interesting. And I'm sure we'll touch on it in certain points, but um, mostly we're excited about what you're doing now and uh, what you're building with uh, with Spindle.
0: Although I will say I did read Chaos Monkeys in a time from Sunday to today, just because I was like, oh, oh. this is serious. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thank Good you. Thought. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, amazing. Cool. Um, one thing to plug at the top, we have our Web3 Games Growth webinar on October 12th at... Eight thirty 30 a.m pst on that panel we have jeff zerlin co-founder of Axie infinity yusuf Columbus, cto of unbroker brands and megan mcwilliams ceo of arrivent there'll be a registration link in the article in the blog post and podcast description that go along with this so please please register cool our first section is industry insights where we do a deep dive on industry news warren do you want to get us started
1: Yeah, up first, we have some news that turns out is not actually news, uh, but that's kind of why we want to cover it. So um, this is a story that we've been seeing going on in a few outlets, uh, all kind of resurfacing the same information, but the the headline is Apple allows NFT sales on its App Store, but there's a catch. Uh, We're going to link our article from blockworks.co. Uh, So for a quick poll quote, tech giant Apple now allows NFTs to be bought and sold through applications listed on its App Store. This enables developers of current apps to sell NFTs in-app and new apps to install NFTs within them. The catch, however, is Apple applies its existing Web2 monetization structure, taking 30% cut from Apple developers who make over 1 million and a 15% cut of those making less. Android's App Store, uh, Google Play, applies the same policy. And so... Here's what's interesting about this. So we saw this story pop up everywhere over the last week, and the source referenced for all of them was just a tweet from Gabe Layden of, uh, you know, uh, Limit Break formerly Machine Zone, and that was kind of the only source referenced in all this. So, uh, you know, and, and Gabe had made some announcement uh, or made tweeted about like, you know, a- Apple now supports NFTs. So we actually did some research. We reached out to uh, some contacts we have at the App Store. Nothing has changed. This is not some new policy. There's not official announcements. Um, This is just uh, the thing that flagged this was Vessel, the new product from AppLovin that's selling NFTs that we covered uh, last week. But uh, basically, people just assumed that because this is out there, that there's some new policy. That's what Gabe assumed, I think. Um, So, yeah, there's not actually any news here. This is just a story (laughs) of someone figuring out how to launch a NFT uh, selling app. Within Apple's current uh, kind of difficult to navigate framework, so uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you guys what do you guys think about this this situation? And um, I don't know. So sort of the short term path that we're learning about how Web three and NFT apps can uh, exist in the Apple ecosystem.
2: Dude, Warren, I mean, there was a tweet, so there's news, right? I mean, tweets used to reflect news. Tweets now are the news. So the fact that Gabe Laden tweeted a thing that that is the story. There we go. There we it go. Is, it, it is truth. Um, I mean, whether or not something actually changed, it is is—it is kind of weird, right? Um, like this business of, of Apple's take rate of 30%, you see it everywhere. Like for example, the great mystery of why you can't buy Kindle you know, editions of books on the Amazon app, it's precisely because they would have to take 30% of the business. And so right. you actually have to do it through web, which is like the clunkiest, like one of the things that drives me crazy, not that I'm just, this is not group therapy, but it's like when when there's an obvious battle between fan companies and they therefore screw up the product somehow, right? Like for example, Another thing you've noticed, I'm sure the Amazon, your, your order got delivered. Email is the most generic thing ever. And they never show the product. Why is that? Right. Cause they're, wor- they're worried that Google's actually going to scrape the data and then create user profiles, run it. So you create this horrible user experience where like you get the email and you're like, I don't know what arrived at home. Who knows? Is it like the super valuable thing that I have to go get right now? Or is it the dog food? And you don't know. Right. And it's just like one of these places. That makes where- so much sense. Yeah,
1: I know. I mean, it I know doesn't it make any sense at all, one. but <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense in, in that war between right, the, right, right. the Titans.
2: So, so we poor consumers are like the little ants scrambling between the legs of the elephants. And sometimes you get crushed. And this is one of those examples where it's like, I mean, what more web two model is there? What, what drives Chris Dixon more into a froth than the fact that the 30% take rate on the Apple app store, <laughs> right? Um, and so it just seems to me that at least spiritually, it's very antithetical to sort of the web three ethos.
1: Yeah, it's and it's interesting, and and we we see sort of like the brute force tactic. We touched on this last week, but basically, what Apple Oven did with Vessel is they just sell you seventy cents of their token for one dollar, and that's that's what you get, and they just pass that cost on directly onto the user. It's it's both brilliant in its simplicity and uh, kind of kind of brutal.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing is going to be like so if you were to, tr- but it's going to be still going to screw the consumer because if you're we going to buy a secondary market. Like NFT, you, you basically can't because you, Apple has to cannibalize that in some way, and so uh, yeah, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna look it's not gonna be a good look. Basically, what's happening is these these companies aren't making trade making tradable assets because Apple. If you were to do a transaction, it has to be an IAP. and then Apple has to take a take, a take which is greatly larger than the take that the companies who actually produce the NFTs are going to create. So mm-hmm. I don't know, it's not. Yeah, obviously, I mean, at
1: at the same time, I mean, some to some degree, the products both of our companies are building have a dependency on eventually Apple and Google playing nice with the Web3 ecosystem. And at least this gives us a hint of like a possible path forward. Um, And I think we just build from here, you know, like the Apple's policy is not going to change overnight, but at least now developers have a framework they can reference and say, ah, that's okay. I can at least do things that way. Is that appealing? Is that going to be a viable business strategy? We'll, we'll see.
2: I mean, the bomb throwing radical approach here is that actually crypto needs to build a phone. <laughs>
0: that's the
1: thing. The they're other doing
0: approach. it. Polygon's yeah. building one. I am very skeptical. Well, that's they're they're
1: announcing good. it. They're <laughs> and there's a yeah. lot of phone as well. Yeah.
0: Or is it is? A lot of phone. Yeah. Uh, well, there's both. There's,
1: there's, I'm sorry. there's a few, yeah. i
0: I might have missed one. But yeah, I mean, didn't like Facebook try this, Amazon tried this. I'm very skeptical that this is going to work. <laughs> like people like their iPhones, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, I was I was at Facebook when that happened. It was basically just a skin on like a Samsung phone or something, it wasn't really a phone. Um, yeah. Th- that said, I mean, this has been reported, so it's not leaking, but you know, Facebook has thought more seriously about building a phone in the past and in fact had a project for a while. And, th- and, and Zuck's intuition there was actually ultimately correct as we're seeing right. with ATT. At the end of the day for as titanic and imperial as Facebook is, it's just one more app in an app store from the point of view of Apple. Right. And, ulti- and ultimately when it comes to ATT, which is, I mean, something near and dear to my heart, which is attribution and attribution, you critically need a primary key that joins all the experiences for users across all the platforms. Right. And, if you, and if you take that away, it's like taking running water away from the city. Like it all just breaks down. Like you can no longer have the ecosystem you had before, which is what's happening. And so in some sense, Zuck's fears or those who would want to build a crypto phone's fears are not unsubstantiated by, by history.
0: I think you're totally right. I think the issue is that the pain is not felt by the consumer, right? It's it's felt by the developers. And for that reason, it, the consumers aren't going to switch unless there's some like really, really uh, compelling value prop. Okay, um, let's keep moving. The next article is Robinhood, is a TechCrunch article entitled, Robinhood debuts non-custodial crypto wallet on Polygon to 10K beta users. Here's a quote, Robinhood is finally rolling out a beta version of its non-custodial crypto wallet to 10,000 customers on its waitlist after its announcement of the product in May. The company revealed it will launch with Polygon, a popular layer two blockchain that plugs into Ethereum, and makes the network faster and cheaper, Notably, Robinhood says it won't charge Robinhood wallet users network or gas fees for transactions, differentiating its non custodial offering from other popular non custodial wallets such as MetaMask or Coinbase. So, this is really, really interesting. Uh, I think it's super smart. Users like me already have a pretty strong relationship with Robinhood. I use them for buying crypto and obviously stocks as well, although, I mean, there's some issues with them. But, I, you know, I, basically, if I'm going to buy some Ethereum, I buy it through Robinhood and transfer it to another wallet. They want to shore up that relationship and own more of the experience. However, the free service is a is is like an interesting one because like obviously that's their business model um, but who's paying for the order flow in this case, right? Like, is this an acquisition? Is this just like a, a user growth strategy and they're going to eventually ratchet this on? Or like someone, like the whole point of that free stocks was that someone is paying them for it. Like who's paying for the order flow in this situation is my question. Well,
1: I, th- I think you just touched on it, which this is like a new customer onboarding strategy. Right. You know, they in the same way that giving away a free stock is a loss leader to bring in a new user of the ecosystem. I mean, this sounds great on paper, but like a polygon transaction is, you know, typically pennies or fractions of, of, of pennies. And so you, you can give away a year or more potentially of, of Polygon transactions for that value of that free stock, potentially for an average user. I don't know, Antonio, this is all pretty close to the space you work in. What do you, what do you think yeah, about yeah. this move?
2: Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, uh, Polygon's an investor in, the, in my company. So... Um, I think it's, it's funny. Somebody posted the link that you shared um, in my company Slack. And I, I like joke replied, oh, what are they going to do? Make it free and then like charge the L1 or something or get yeah. like an order flow. And actually, that's <laughs> that's kind of what's going on. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's great. I mean, look, you, you uh, what, what I find interesting about Web3 is that what you would consider to be kind of an infrastructure tier, which is the L2, cares about its users, right? Like they care about their DAUs in a way that I'm sure, you know, AWS it cares about usage, but it doesn't actually care about like the end users actually using the underlying infrastructure, but that's not true. Web, Web3 actually punches through the abstraction layer. And I'm sure a company like Polygon cares about its DAUs or its DTUs or however you would define it in Web3. So you know, I, I think it's a brilliant strategy. I think it's, it's probably a great move. Yeah.
1: The, the other reason I really like this. So like, you know, almost all of my, Blockchain transactions are all around gaming. and um, a lot of the games are on polygon, obviously. and they use a lot of transactions. So even though um, even though the transactions are very cheap, it is still something you have to like allocate for and make sure that you have enough you know Matic in your wallet. Uh, you know, like I played a game for forty five minutes last night and maybe made fifteen transactions. Like that adds up pretty quick. so i I think for anyone who is deep in, 3 gaming on polygon it's a huge value proposition you just never yeah. even have to worry about that budget well, for your your transactions
0: my ether orc is sitting on connected to the ecosystem for exactly this region because i was like this is just a pain in the ass i'm not
1: gonna do it so it's still sitting there and if i had the wallet it would be it would be fixed nice uh well why don't we go on to the next article um this one is from bloomberg uh this one just popped on our radar this morning uh, but I think it'll be a fun one to talk about, and the headline is podcasters are buying millions of listeners through mobile game ads. And uh, this was something that that honestly wasn't on my radar, and I feel like should have been. So um, there's a research firm called Sea that focuses on ad fraud, and they did this new report. And uh, for you know a little info on this, um, podcast networks are actively mining downloads in the mobile game space, doing so through an intermediary company called June Group. Each time a player taps on one of these fleeting in-game ads and wins some virtual loot for doing so, a podcast episode begins down- downloading on their device. The podcast company can in turn claim the ga- gamer as a new listener to its program and add another coveted download to its overall tally. So like, the, basically, you know, the, the, the flow here is, uh, and the example they give is with uh, subway servers. Uh, which is, you know, massive, casual mobile game, kind of notorious for providing. If you're deep in the UA weeds like us, it's one of the earlier things you do when launching any game is you block traffic from subway surfers because it's just not that it's a bad product, but it usually has a lower quality, like average monetizing user. Um, so the flow here is someone s- sees an ad in the game they're playing or they get you know offered some gold or something for viewing the ad. They click on it and a podcast auto-loads and starts downloading and playing as soon as it happens, uh, the ad is served within the podcast. So pumping up the numbers of you know ad impressions for someone buying in the in in that other podcast, and it's just this kind of complex like greater fool theory of you know someone's someone is buying this low quality game inventory, and then using it to pump up their podcast numbers. And then what this research paper found was they're basically using those inflated numbers to sell to brand advertisers and say we have this many users. Uh, so that's that's kind of the whole thing uncovered by this. Um, guys, have you been following the story? Like with thoughts on on this tactic?
0: New growth strategy for App Talk with uptick. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's wild.
2: As a as a side note, I think the podcast audio ad space is fascinating. I'm actually an, an advisor to a small uh, podcast audio ads company, and just talking to the CEO about how that world works. Like you actually have just-in-time audio ad serving, you have programmatic ads targeting. You have like, you're starting to get all the the sophistication of like Web2 ads in an audio format. Like you actually have voice synthesizers that actually read out the voice in a certain voice that performs Mm. better or worse because paying for a host-read ad, that's like the premium inventory versus the remnant. You have back population of the podcast. You have all this shit going on that's just incredible. And so I'm not surprised that if you create this level of technical sophistication, then then the fraudsters and criminals will also reach that level of technical right. sophistication. So I'm totally, I'm not surprised at all that this is what's, because, you know, podcast CPMs can be shockingly high. They can be as like 30, 40, $50 CPMs for some of the top podcasts, which is a lot. Yeah. I'm glad,
1: you, I'm glad you brought up CPMs. One thing I didn't write down, but was called out in this article is they are buying subway surfers. Well, the example given, I don't know if this is fact, they're buying subway surfers ad inventory for $27 CPMs which for a casual mobile game that is insane so yeah. they're like grossly also grossly overpaying for this inventory uh, so there's a like a, a, there's a rake being had uh, at multiple levels with this
0: I guess the brand marketers are probably just drastically overpaying cuz that seems crazy that you could sustain a $27 eCPM for on Subway Surfer I mean we were paying like single digits and being upha- unhappy about it Okay, um, we'll jump quickly to our next article, which Warren wanted to cover, and I'm going to read quickly from. It's entitled, oh, it says a Walmart blog article. Walmart jumps into Roblox with the launch of Walmart Land and Walmart's universe of play here's a small quote today walmart is announcing the launch of two immersive experiences in the metaverse mega platform roblox walmart land and walmart's universe of play spaces offer unique interactive content entertainment for customers and bring and bring to life the best of walmart's aisles and virtual worlds and all i have to say is oh my god this is the most horrifying thing i've ever seen in my life not only does nobody want any of walmart in the metaverse but like they're targeting roblox which is aimed at children they're trying to brainwash children <laughs> thinking walmart is a good thing what the fuck
2: i i i I assume Xander, do you have do you have children i do not Uh, okay (laughs) because usually people who don't have children don't know what roblox is but if you have children you definitely know what roblox is and you have spent many a long hour inside um various games as i have with my children
0: playing can i can I can i interest you in walmart land (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would pay not to go to Walmart land in and, and the metaverse is what I would pay for um,
1: yeah I feel like when I want to step into the metaverse I want an escape from yes. the dark realities of everyday life and and yeah. nowhere is that weight heavier than walking into a Walmart like that is the the last feeling that I want to take with me into the metaverse
2: but perhaps more importantly is this a bullish or a bearish signal for the metaverse the fact that Walmart's in it
1: <sighs> I mean There's ultimately a- bullish right I mean it's like it's at least being investigated and invested in in some way. Right.
0: um Yeah, the question I think you'd have to define. How do you define metaverse in this context? I mean, I'm like of the camp that Facebook and Instagram is the metaverse, so it already exists. But like, right. and, so, and, and so is Discord, and so is all these video games people. And right. so is Second Life. You know, like it's been around for forever. Um, but. I don't know, no one wants this. Um, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> anyway, let's jump forward to our main segment. We'll be talking about web three marketing attribution. We've got a very good guest with us. And so I'm really excited to do a deep dive with Antonio. Um, just kicking it off, Antonio, will you tell us a bit about yourself, your background and then spin from that to what Spindle is?
2: Sure, um, man, where to begin? Um, so yeah, I've had a little bit of a, of a varied path. Um, you know, originally I, um, I uh, dropped out of a PhD in physics at Berkeley. Um, and as as many lapsed physicists, I went into finance. And so I was pricing credit derivatives for Goldman Sachs during the, uh, the prime years of 2007, 2008, <laughs> when the credit right. crash was happening. So off I went from bohemian kid with like... Um, you know with like a ponytail to having some trader standing over me yelling with a baseball bat in his hand saying where's the risk report um that was exciting to watch then i came back to tech and so i joined an ad tech company in 2008 or nine or so um and that's that was my first dip into the ad tech world and i've been there basically for 10 10 10, 10, 10 12 years and for those who don't have video my cat just jumped on the table um and so you know since then i've been basically at every at every size and scale of the ad tech edifice buy side sell side Tiny YC company, pre-IPO Facebook, been you know basically turning data and human eyeballs into money in various forms, to put it quite bluntly, um, and more recently. Um, I wrote a book about it called Chaos Monkeys*, which is kind of a memoir of my time going through the startup cycle on Facebook. I've written for *Wired*, *The Washington Post*. I was like a journalist for three, four years. It, it, you know, I have a blue check, all that stuff. It drives me crazy. Basically, I'm not really a narcissist. I just play on the internet. I'm not. I'm not particularly good at it. I'll, I'll leave it to the other big names on Substack to be better narcissists than I am. And so I've I've come back to building. And what I'm building is in Web three. And I basically ask myself two questions. One what in web two could legitimately be rebuilt on blockchain lines? Like what should actually be on the blockchain? There aren't many things to be honest, but there are quite a few. And then what is like totally missing from web three, right? And the answer to to both was basically both attribution at its most fundamental level. And then eventually like some form of measurable user acquisition that kind of works. You can call it ads. I I, I just like using the word ads because people in Web3 kind of recoil. Um, my answer to that is like, hate to break it to you, NFT drops are ads, right? <laughs> you just you don't call them that, and it's kind of weird. An ad isn't just the skeuomorphic little 300 by 250 like block of pixels. It's all sorts of things, right? Those are all, that's all forms of marketing, and Web3 will absolutely have them. They are you know already does, and so you know I, I asked myself, okay, how's this ecosystem gonna unfold? Because I've seen two ecosystems unfold: the desktop ecosystem that I was. A part of it, Facebook, and then the, the mobile app install ecosystem, which was evolved kind of separately after the fact. And they both converge to kind of the same thing, kind of siloed gardens within companies like Facebook and Twitter, and then a slightly more open ecosystem in the case of Google, in which it's a little bit more modular or composable, as you would say, in Web3, and that you can use this ad server with that buying platform, which is talking to that publisher tool, right? It's not quite as uh, modular and Lego-like as, as I'm describing, of course, because Google's always kind of uh, kind of present. Um, But I thought, yeah, how is this ecosystem going to evolve? What do we need to build? And then I just started talking to companies, right? So I talked, uh, I mean, Warren, you and I have had a conversation. Um, I talked to, you know, companies, Mythical Games, Axie, etc. And it's like, what are your CACs? What are your retention curves? What's the, and like the answer is like, occasionally not the companies that I just mentioned, but other companies are like, what do you what do you mean? What are you talking about? What, what right. do those things mean? And I'm like, oh my God. And then sometimes it's like, no, no, we know what they are. We just have no way of measuring them. We don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs>
1: it's not that these aren't brilliant teams. <laughs> right, right, right. It's just like there's no there's no infrastructure. There's no
2: infrastructure. Yeah. There's, they can't answer the question. And um I was just like gobsmacked. I'm like, I don't understand. There's like billions of dollars of liquidity running through some of these ecosystems. They are not poor. They're very smart. How how are we like banging rocks together in the Stone Age? I'm like, I gotta fix this. And so um, the company is called Spindle without the E because. I cheaped that. I didn't want to pay fifty thousand dollars for Spindle with the E, so we Uptake dropped the E. With two Ps.
0: Let's go. So that's how we got the optic name <laughs> <mean> too. <laughs>
2: I was about to say we sound like a sort of West German metal band from the '90s or something. Is what we sound like now. Actually, I almost want to put the umlaut on there for like the Motorhead effect. But so it's Spindle without the E. And um, yeah, the you know, there's there's several stages to the company. I don't want to turn this into a total sales pitch, but the the short version is a you know analytics and attribution like. there's a marketing funnel to everything in life, right? And you're top of funnel, whether it be a a highway billboard or a Discord post or a Facebook ad. And at some point you go into the funnel, you're in the experience, you're a customer, you start spending money. You have to measure all across that in in some form or another. And what's interesting, and I'm sure Warren, you've probably discovered this working, having straddled both worlds, is that the web, you know, certain high-level concepts will be analogous in Web3 and Web2. Like everything has a marketing funnel. There's obviously a marketing funnel inside Web3. But other parts of it, Web three is like the reverse in like strange ways that at first you don't realize. So f- for starters, like attribution modeling to get a little wonky on web two is pretty simple. You bought a thing, right? You go to REI and you bought the hundred dollar thing. That's it. All the complexity is like in the ad serving, the ad ranking, the targeting, all the stuff going inside your Instagram feed, like all the complexity is there. The attribution is actually pretty simple. You just have to be clean about it and consistent about it. And, and you measure things web three. It's the reverse, right? Uh, I mean, y- to first, you know, it seems like it would be easy because it's all on chain, but it's actually super complicated, right? If you ask the question, like, how much money does could an exchange make off a user? Like, wh- what is the LTV for that? it's a very difficult question to answer, actually. Right. Um, even though the data is there, I mean, A, the data tooling is really poor. And so you have to like muddle through a lot of not great infrastructure to get the answer. But even leaving that aside, even assuming you have SQL queries that run, how, you know, asking that question is very difficult. And so a lot, of the, a lot of what we're doing is like, okay, what is the equivalent of like the conversion pixel in Web3? Well, it's a smart contract with a function that you called, where this is the from address on the, on the wallet address. That defines a thing. That is the, that is the final point of the entire funnel and so everything you measure in the funnel has to get measured against that and that's your thing and it doesn't require any instrumentation on the part of the developer of course it's public because it's on chain but still get kind of getting to it is still very difficult and so those are some of the challenges that we're facing now
1: yeah absolutely and uh when when we learned about what you're building it it super spoke to our team i mean a lot a lot of our work at uptick and and in the products and tech we work on is like okay, cool there's a lot of piping around for measuring different parts of of marketing ecosystems but it doesn't all talk to each other well no. uh, and a lot of times you know if you're not in the trenches you know, like a user acquisition practitioner, it's really hard to kind of get gain insights from that so a lot of our work is like taking these pieces of disparate piping, joining them and providing like clear, easy to understand like insights and data modeling on top of that and automation. But when we started going into Web3, we realized a lot of the same things that you're talking about. We would talk to some of the smartest teams and most successful companies in the space, like, cool, what's your LTV? We have no idea. And when you start looking at it, it makes a lot of sense like why it's, uh, why it's so difficult to measure. You have like you, you spoke to just the complexities of, of web3 native economies a lot of the early successes are going to be actually these hybrid economies yeah. where it's not only all those things you talked about but there's also like you know we're getting ready to launch uh, axi origins that's also eventually going to have like traditional in-app purchase maybe some of these games will have ad revenue as well right. and then you have marketplace fees that it's like me buying something from antonia it's not buying me buying something directly from the developer and it quickly is this complex stew and how can we you know that this is this is when the pipes don't even exist to pull in That those key pieces of data, how can you boil that down to a number that an executive can look at and say, I spent a dollar and I got a dollar and 10 cents back, which is really the question that marketing performance marketing, at least is always trying to answer.
2: Yeah. And I think you're putting your finger on one important thing, Warren, right? We're not, you know, as it is web two and web three live somewhat siloed. Certainly from an attribution perspective, because there's almost no way to track identity across them. But going forward, as more and more, as Web3 gains more and more adoption, Web2 and Web3 are going to blur together in weird ways, right? Like right now, like signing with a wallet is a super heavyweight process. You have a favorite chain. It's very wonky and technical. I suspect if we get any sort of mainstream consumer adoption at all, people will move very seamless. Like people are going to log in with a wallet, like they log in with Google, like SSO and like some service somewhere. It's going to be a relatively seamless experience in which identity is managed. You know, it, it, it might not even be custodial and that. They don't even know that they have private keys. They go and they go and do a thing. And then they, they come out of a web three experience into a web two experience and go back in and you have to create, some sort of identity layer that spans those two. So you can make sense of the complete user. Like this user clicked into this discord post, clicked in through this tweet, saw this ad, they came in and did a thing. And somehow we can tie all that together because otherwise you just, you're, you're using the force, so to speak, you're flying totally blind when it comes to user acquisition.
0: So I guess if we want to focus this this at least the initial part of this conversation on analytics, you know, what in attribution, like, how does Web3 evolve when we have good attribution, right? Like, is this something that's going to be net good for consumers? I mean, like, obviously, we can look back the last 10 years and say, hey, you know, we built this Web2 ecosystem, it allowed hyper targeting for a long time, we were allowed to make all these free to play games, it did a lot of good stuff, or, you know, some people did well, uh, we ended up siphoning off a lot of attention, discuss whether that's a good idea. But like, you know, one of the nice things about the web three is it's being at least billed as sort of a hard reset at least a soft reset no. um what is the implication of creating attribution and analytics and all the downstream effects that come with bringing that into web three i guess i start there
2: uh, i mean i you know ultimately i believe in the web three vision like part of what is i find interesting in web three and like my take on the whole is like is crypto an actual improvement on web two sort of debate, which is still kind of ongoing. I got into this yeah. one. I still get into occasionally to see debates. But from my perspective, if we create a new internet in which what are the existing, you know, behemoths, the fan companies, you know, variously defined, um, kind of don't exist or allowed, you know, other startups to actually grow other than in their shadow, right? Like I used to live in the Pacific Northwest and at Tree cat canopy looks amazing, but it's actually very stifling to younger trees because they actually can't get sunlight. So you have these enormous trees. So in fact, trees knocking down trees and actually opening some sunlight can often be good for the forest for many ways. And that's I feel like that's kind of what we're doing. Web right. three is an open field without the tall shady trees that basically crush all growth that's smaller right. than the than the tallest trees. And like, even if at the end of the day web consumer web three doesn't look that different than web two in the sense that, well, you sign into a thing, you have an enjoyable experience, you engage in some economy, and then you go off to do another thing. Like at the end of the day, I think it's not gonna look that different web three to web two. The fact that it's not the same five companies or it's that Apple taking a 30% rake just because, right? Like to me, that's already success. Right. Right, And that's why I'm involved in it because like, I'm tired. Like, what are you going to do? Put another service on the same mobile app to like buy another thing. Like it's, we've been doing this for 10 years. Like Web2 doesn't have the excitement that, that it used to have. Right. And that like the smartest people who are at the edges of like the known world technically. Right. To be blunt are in Web3. They just are. And that's where we are. So that's why no, that's I, yeah, yeah.
1: That that's something that we talk about all the time, which is like that it's it's part of why, you know, besides like being, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid myself, like for 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 a bit here, um, it's just so screaming obvious that like look at the massive brain drain from all of the fan companies, yeah. from all of the legacy gaming companies into web three, and then look where the funding has gone. Like maybe the products are not there today, but what do you think is gonna happen? Like when all of the smartest people and all of the money moves to this segment. And, and so like when we started going hard into Web3 as a you know, as a marketing org, we would like you know, we try to do a webinar and we'd reach out to like all of the people that normally sponsor webinars, the big ad networks and uh, like existing attribution providers. And they're just like, yeah, we're not interested. That's not really a market opportunity for us. And then six months later, like they all have their Web3 initiatives and like, yeah, we are we love Web3. Um so it's 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 just so obvious that the infrastructure is needed, but I think like people really need it, like beating them over the head for the existing, um, those existing landowners, like the, the canopies, as you put it, to to move from like a defensive position. They actually need to see that their current market is at threat from some of these new up and comers. But that's why it's exciting to work in the space right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I tweet I tweeted literally that right. If all the if all the smart people, and all the money are running in one direction like it or not, something's going to come out of that, right? Because again, like you and I have been around long enough to remember what it was like in 2009 or 10 in tech, right? Like, by the way, companies like Uber and Airbnb had lots of doubters back then too, (laughs) right? And it wasn't obvious that they'd be so amazing and they would take off in so many ways. It was like the first consumer use case that started taking off, like, oh shit, this is kind of interesting. It's funny, I, I had this debate with Max Levchin on Twitter and I like Max, I've interviewed him for my podcast, he's a very smart guy. And, you know. I, and I think he had a correct comment, which is like, you're right, you know, PayPal had a terrible use case early on, like PayPal actually floundered for a long time. And then it almost accidentally discovered its key use case, which was obviously, as everyone knows now, if you read the history, PayPal was serving as a payment layer for eBay. <laughs> Right. And eBay itself was weird. It's like, who's going to trade figurines? It's like, no, dude, it's not figurines. It's like everything, right? It's everything used. you can buy on eBay. And then by the way, we need e-money to pay for this online auction and suddenly PayPal grew. And that's, you know, the problem is we haven't found the eBay yet or, or we found small versions of eBay's but we haven't found like the macro eBay that's going to make everyone flip over to the web3 side and say, oh yeah, of course. Uh, uh, this was destined to succeed from the very beginning when in fact we've been through like years of hate and skepticism. So. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think, I mean, games is like the real first use yes. case where you're seeing actually massive adoption and games tend to be on the cutting edge of basically all uh, cutting edge of basically all technological adoption so basically wherever i mean this is a very biased opinion but basically wherever i see games technology and infrastructure going i assume that the rest of the world will follow uh, follow suit eventually
2: i, I mean to be blind it's games porn and crime i mean those are the, those are the, <laughs> those are the top three early adopters which there's plenty of in crypto well i guess not porn but those, the, i mean and the reason why i say it flippantly but it's true right these are mm-hmm. people like in the gaming space, you know, well, this this audience should know, but they're they're very results oriented, right? They're very LTV focused. They're very quantitative, right? Which is why, in Web two, they drove the progress of programmatic ad tech in a huge way, right? And so, I mean, obviously, I'm talking, I'm literally talking my book here in the sense that like Spindle gonna be is gonna bet big on working with gaming companies because I think when it comes to quantitative attribution, they're obviously the earliest adopters.
1: So. I think another reason it makes a lot of sense to. Build a, a business for a product like Spindle around gaming is there's going to be a lot of products that rhyme with each other. Uh, you right. know, it's it's part of why our team doubled down on gaming. You know, earlier on we would also focus on growing some non non gaming apps, but it was kind of like starting from zero each time. You know, if you have like a one of one style app, uh, but gaming, it's just this massive sector of there's a lot of iteration you know, a lot of iteration and small innovations, but it all kind of rhymes with each other. If you launch 50 games, like you're going to get tactics from each of those that inform and improve how well you can do the next one. And I think it's the same thing. If you, if you interview 50 game companies, what are their needs set? It's going to be like a massive amount of overlap.
2: Yeah. I mean, even technically, like, so the way we're doing product dev, which is both one of the the fun parts and also challenges of like kind of inventing a little bit a new field within an industry, which is like, how does web three attribution work? We've been doing a, a series of case studies. So half our employees are data scientists. So we're digging into mm. like the polygon ecosystem. And the cool thing about, again, web three is that there's all this data that's public, right? And so you can go um, to, to, to Zed Run, which is like a horse racing game, and Polygon, and, and look at all their data, right? It's, it's public, right? You can just look at it and say, ah, look, isn't this interesting, right? <laughs> like the LTV of users who come from here or buy their NFTs there is higher than somewhere else. Um, but you need, but then you need to do that because to, to model the game dynamics correctly. But then you start realizing exactly what you just said. Things start rhyming. It's like, okay, if there's an NFT involved, then, Actually, there's a small set of smart contracts and a small set of NFT marketplaces that's actually where all the money flows through, right? So those are basically the three sort of sources of, of revenue in this company. And you can start productizing what it looks like a very bespoke case study into an actual like dashboard that every game developer can just load and say, aha, here we are. Right.
1: So yeah. Antonio, one thing I'm thinking about as you're you know talking about your 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 plan with Spindle, what do you anticipate the moves will be from some of the existing uh measurement providers in both you know mobile and and uh traditional like web measurement as well like are you worried about moves from like apps flyer branch and anyone like that
2: yeah i mean i I work for branch so (laughs) full disclosure of that Um, you know it's interesting i I, i'm not going to name who it is but there's a c-level exec at one of these companies who's actually an investor in spindle and he said antonio this is great i totally get it we're never going to do it. So don't, so don't like, we're, we're going to make noises about crypto, but I think the Web3 paradigm is so different, right? Like, it's not, like, I asked myself, like, the thought experiment, could I take Branch or Apps Flyer and, like, make it work for Axie or any other Web3 games? Like, you can mm-hmm. pass custom events, you can pass custom user IDs, well, why don't you just pass the wallet, right? And then try to, like, cluge in the wallet ID. But it's going to be, you, it would be, like, double entry bookkeeping. You'd have to fire the attribution event every time you're actually writing on chain. like i don't know you could probably get away with it for a while but i think it would be yeah. very difficult and i think where attribution is in web2 right now it's in a difficult spot right their margins right. are fairly thin it's very commoditized yes. they're all looking either for an exit which adjust sold to applevin or they're doing something else i branch they're sort of getting into the ad space more directly and so i i just don't see them it it's it's like google launching a social network right <laughs> which seemed terrifying it's not, at the it's time not their
1: DNA, but yeah. it, but
2: it's like it's, you just can't uh, it's just not going to work it's it's a bridge too far for them so i, I don't really i don't really worry about that too much yeah to well,
1: well they're all moving into the space but not necessarily from a product standpoint and so like here's here's an anecdote to encapsulate what what we're seeing and i'm going to try to be vague here intentionally because we have to do a lot of business with these companies uh one of the major measurement providers had a big announcement and new section on their website about um, you know, attribution for for Web three.
0: They like all this, uh, but also this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: uh, one of one of uh, the games that we work on that was working with this company said they reached out to them and were like, "Oh, we saw you guys uh, announced that you're doing Web three attribution. We want to learn more about what the what the new product is." Uh turns out there was no new product. It was just basically the thing they were already doing, but they're just putting a uh, wrapping paper on it and saying, yeah, you can use this for Web3. So that's kind of the state of things. It's more uh, marketing pivots and not necessarily that there's any meaningful product development I've seen from the existing players so far.
2: Yeah, I just don't buy it. Like, Again, I've worked at one of these companies, which I still think very highly of, to be clear. I'm not digging the companies, but now that I'm kind of gone crypto native and actively building in the space. It is so different <laughs> when it comes down yeah. at a high level, it's conceptually similar at the low level. It is completely different. And I don't see them making the jump at all.
0: No. Well, yeah. And I think the point you made earlier about just how like there's issues with the web two ecosystem, which is that we just have behemoths sucking all the money out of it and so like that's that's every every everyone's margin i mean i feel like half people in web3 the reason they're in web3 is just because they want to screw with the big companies i mean oh
2: yeah no totally i i want to create an ad system in which my esteemed former employers like facebook and twitter and whatnot cannot operate right and like facebook has basically a 100 percent take rate on, on your content right if you think a little bit bigger if we really like think visionary like How's marketing going to work with Web3 in a bigger picture? Like, assume you have an attribution layer like Spindle, right? What do you do after that? Well, you can make the ads by be a smart contractor. You can have an affiliate program where if you drive a conversion with the Spindle link, for example, that drives an on-chain mm-hmm. action, you get automatically paid in a wallet, right? You can imagine a publisher ad network where you run the ad and their Ethereum wallet just gets paid, assuming you actually drive the downstream conversion. You can drive a lot. You can start imagining a lot of the paradigms that exist in Web2, but right. in, a fun- in fundamentally different ways. You, you don't have a Google or a Facebook sitting in the middle of it literally taking the lion's share of the revenue. It, it gets pushed to the edges and there's a lot more control and there's a lot more autonomy. You can do a lot more things right, with the blockchain.
1: Antonio, is that part of what drove you to make your next big you know, initiative in life in the Web3 space? Like I was, I was watching an interview you did with Jason Calacanis like way yeah. back and at the time was, you were promoting your, your, your book um, and you mentioned something paraphrasing, but, oh yeah, I've basically burnt all my, my bridges in this oh. industry. I'll never work in this space again. <laughs> I, I, I'm I, obviously like history didn't pan pan out that no, way, but no, I'm just yeah. curious if, if, if your past experiences with some of uh you know, Fang and, and large uh, traditional tech companies mode, at least motivated you to move into the web three space.
2: It's not really the past experiences. I mean, that was probably an early podcast. Like I I wrote Chaos Monkeys actually from Europe because I thought, um, you know, the book, at the time, no one had really written an insider kind of tell-all memoir. I I, I don't like the term tell-all because it's as if like I'm a whistleblower and it's like, there's no fraud there. There, I'm not really blowing Mm -hmm. a whistle. It's just like, you know, this is really how the sausage is made. And at the time, I think that was kind of a radical thing. Dude, nowadays, everyone builds out in the open. You've got public CEOs like Elon, like tweeting random stuff, like the the level of, which I think is an improvement by the level of disclosure and openness now is a lot higher than even as little as, you know, a few years ago in 2016. So I just thought that like talking about how things work, you know, and frankly, the book isn't that unflattering to Facebook at the end of the day. Um, And so, you know, no that hasn't been my experience in in that industry. Obviously, I went back to the industry after the book. Right. so um, no, but but it, but I wouldn't say it's resentment, but I, I do think we've reached the point of like technological stagnation to be to be blunt, where I think you could build a lot of new, cool stuff, and somehow we're stuck in these ruts, and yeah things just don't feel as exciting. Again, maybe it's a midlife crisis, but things just don't feel as exciting as they did 10, 15 years ago when I was like bouncing around South Park and Soma. And you had basically every consumer internet company in their nascent stages, Airbnb, Uber, Pinterest, like they're all there. And everyone was kind of making it up as it went along and no one knew how this would end up, but it was Great. it was clear you were on the cusp of something big, right, Great. like shit was going on. And like, I just don't feel that way in Web2 anymore. And, and totally. I do agree. So, I, okay. I
1: completely identify with that. I mean, I've, I've been launching games for a while and definitely was hitting like the burnout phase with just kind of launching very similar mobile free-to-play games. And like, once I started playing some of these Web3 games and started building one with some friends, it was like, I'm just like a, running off adrenaline, it feels like, all day, every day, because it just feels like a fresh playground. And it's just right. like, oh, now we can do this. Now we can do this. It's like you got new new Legos and it right. just it reinvents the medium in a way that's right. really cool from a game design perspective
0: yep that's right okay so um in the with the caveat that we might get you know, in trouble for, for this segment i, I have i have do have a, a thought a question i have i want your thoughts about so i've been sort of calling re- calling this not like a decentralization people like oh, web3 it's decentralization it really seems more like a re-centralization um and specifically it looks like someone like a16z are putting in basically you know funding a16z and local brands there's like a few of these guys who are basically funding the entire thing what do you do you think there is an issue with that in terms of the fact that I mean, I think a 6 z specifically is an interesting one because they've been in the valley for a long time. Is there an issue that all these companies are taking so, so much of that money? And the, then, you know, basically the folks from web two are funding the majority of the web three operations. Is that is do you see that that what do you what do you think of the downstream impacts of that sort of money canon? Is there one? Do we is something we have to worry about at all or do we
1: just not think about well, it? Well, I mean, I'd say, first of all, do you even agree with that state uh, statement, Antonio, that the, the bulk of funding is coming from like traditional. Um, you know, traditional VCs.
2: I don't, th- I don't think it is, right? Cause like, when I look at my cap table, admittedly a seed mm-hmm. round, so it's not the biggest cap table in the world or anything. A lot of the names are ones that probably don't ring bells to web two people. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Dragonfly Capital, who led the round or even chapter one, which was kind of more of a web two consumer thing and is now investing in crypto, right? Like um, these, uh, these aren't, I mean, in, in many ways when I was raising my round, I'm not gonna name names, but a lot of the big names mm-hmm. of Web2, to be blunt, aren't big in crypto. And like people look at you askance if you were to raise from them. They all claim to have like a crypto practice because they kind of, but they like, do. but but really they don't, they're not really players in the space. And I think you have a new set of players that are actually way more important. And then the, the other thing I would also disagree with, like A, I, I don't agree with the premise that Web3 is being funded by Web2, but obviously in some mm-hmm. cases it is. A16Z is real and then, <laughs> they're like, like-
0: Sequoia like, is like one of the largest investors in Polygon, right, like right, right,
2: Okay, yeah, I mean, I don't know i again in 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 the case of a16z i think there you have people like chris dixon have been very visionary and have been calling this for like years and so even though they were deeply embedded in web2 space they're not like web2 like i i don't know if this is a very kind characterization there's definitely a notion of like a web2 boomer right someone who grew up within the paradigms of web2 like they've done well for themselves you can probably guess who some of these people are and it's like they don't want to see anything like oh why, why does this need to be improved and it's like the mental flip they don't realize is that they've become the thing that they used to like build against when they were in their twenties. Right. And they think they're in the same role in life. It's like, no, you're now in a different role in life. You're kind of like the hater and the kind of older, happy, you know, happy with the status quo person who doesn't want to change things anymore. Um, And I think, look, you know, I'm one of these people myself, right. I, I was not a crypto native, right. I'm not 19. And this is the entire experience of tech, but I see it for what it is. I believe in the vision and you can switch and convert. And I think Definitely, in the case of A16Z and a few other VCs, you mm-hmm. do see that they—they're the switch is flipped. They're not Web two boomers, kind of like kicking around in Web three. They're—they're they're embracing that they're different very web. into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I mean, I mean,
0: but I guess the other so like forget about the Web two people. I mean, it's clear that there are a handful of folks who are funding the vast majority of Web the Web three ecosystem. And in that regard, you know, it sort of is a recentralization because at the end of the day, the money the money is what well, you're accountable to where the money comes from. Whether or not we want to sort that of right, but.
2: But one of the weird things about Web3 is, right, that a lot of the liquidity comes very early on, which potentially is pro- problematic, by the way, and leads to things like Ponzi's. Mm-hmm. But but you have access to liquidity a lot earlier than you used to, right? And like, sure. we, we raised, and I'm sure you're familiar, a lot of these companies raise with a, with a token, side note to, to the actual raise, which means that at some point that e- the value might actually not be encapsulated in the equity, it might be in the token, mm-hmm. right? right? And so, um, like, if you think about who's, like, who's floating Web3, is it just VC money? No, no it's, it's not. A, it's not. It's a lot of retail, which, again, Good and bad to that, but it's very different, right? Um, while in the Web 2 world, like only, only I think this Q1 of this year, Uber turned a profit for the first time, mm-hmm. right? It's been what 12 years since it got founded. Well, who's been floating this company the entire time? Venture capital, private equity, you know, private investment. Um, that, that's so. I, I would say, if anything, Web 2 world is way more dominated by VCs. Well, it, it
0: certainly is. is. I'm not saying it is. I'm just the, the question is more around: Is there an issue? Is that something that? We're just a cycle. Like we're doomed to repeat. And I think the th- the comment you made was basically like, well, we're it, we're a little more hedged in this case, you know, right? At least at least a huge portion of it comes from the consumers, which is good in a lot of ways. Oh, a lot of consumers are losing their shirts. I'd rather have the VCs lose their shirts. Um, but yeah. I I take I'd,
1: like to, I'd like to add a little nuance here of just sort of like what I've seen in the trenches with like teams that I've been helping with with fundraising, um, which is, you know, this, some of this echoes what Antonio said, but I think it's, 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 a, it's a kind of a specific trend, which is earlier on in a life cycle. Um, I don't think we're seeing the web 2 Titans you know playing a role uh, in in the games in the tech. I think it's these crypto native funds that are much more in the weeds born from the space. and then I think as products mature, something like polygon that's like a clear leader. so I think we're that's that's the trend I've generally seen is like earlier stage it's web 3 native investors. Um, but as products mature and become clear market leaders, uh, become the axes of the world, the polygons of the world, that's when I'm seeing more traditional uh, players jumping in. So I, th- I, th- I think the truth is kind of somewhere somewhere in between, you know, well, that, they're not taking the riskiest bets. Well, that's a good, PC I mean, that's world. a fine life cycle,
0: because that, what that allows for is people who are really in tune with Web3 space or Web3 natives to make some money off that early investment. Right. And that's that's fine. And it was, it's more like, I'm not saying that like, web three is owned by Sequoia. I'm just, I'm saying like, is, is this something that we should talk about? Cause I, it's it's a potential threat. It's, it's I, something that could, could happen, right? Well, cause people, and people just don't yeah. really talk about the fact that there is so much VC money. I mean, they do, but like, just there's it's, it's we're bleary eyed about the fact that there's a lot of the same folks who have transitioned. I mean, and we talked about mm-hmm. it at the beginning. I mean, it's a, it's a boon and it's a curse. I mean, we've got the brain drain from the web three ecosystem into the web, web two ecosystem into the web three ecosystem, which is a positive thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the brain and I think the brain drain, I mean, obviously it's self-flattering, but I think, you know, Web3 is fascinating. They have lots of really innovative, cool people doing, you know, whose minds are totally in this totally novel way of looking at the world. But I, I do think a little bit of the business maturity, the, like the best part of Web2, like, again, you should know what your CACs are. <laughs> you can't run a business without knowing what your CACs are, right? Like, Ideally, in this ideal world, the web two like gray beards, like Warren and myself here would bring some of our knowledge from web two and make it such that like web three doesn't have to speed run all the stupidity that we had to run through in web two side and just get to the, so like recently you can probably guess who it is. I saw like the pitch deck for like a nascent web three ad network. So it's one of the web three publishers that you can probably guess because there's only like three of them. And I saw the deck and it's like, oh my God, this shit is like ad tech circa 2005. It's like CPM, it's literally on a day basis. Yes. It's like yahoo autos in like 2006 it's like no 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 no. we cannot redo this <laughs> this is not where we start we have to start like with an actual cpa ad network with an actual goal in mind with actual optimism. like we, we we can't do this again for the third time so right.
1: um, well that kind of ties back to the first thing we talked about today which was was apple policy which you know, if you're a hammer everything looks like a nail you know like by default companies are going to try to apply their existing playbook to web 3. i think ultimately uh founders such as yourself that are taking a step back and approaching this from first principles of like let's just look at what this is <laughs> and what's the optimal uh you know not have a not how did I do things at my last job but like what's the optimal solution for it yeah. for the space recognizing its unique uh traits
2: yeah 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 no and and, and again it is unique right it's weird that like just to talk, I can talk about ad tech all day Warren if you want me to but it's like it's weird that like the pitch deck that I saw was like selling ads CPM. When's the last time you saw ads quoted CPM, right? It's not even CPM. It was by block of time. It was like, oh, for this day, right? <laughs> we, we can't even count the impressions. So we're just going to like literally run the cron job at midnight or something, right? And it's like, for you know... And that, that, and then, you know, coming from a world in which you can say, oh, I literally wanna drive this downstream action. I'm willing to pay mm-hmm. this much. And you know what? I don't care how it happens, make it happen. And everything just kind of flows and it works. And sure, there's a little bit of fraud. There's a little bit of bumpiness here and there, but by and large, it is just a fundamentally different world than the world that we probably started slinging ads in 10, 15 years ago. And like, I'd love it for web three to just like get to that point. In the Jump same way that some developing countries are actually more advanced mobile technology mm-hmm. than we do. Cause they didn't pass through the landline phase. It's like, you don't wanna to have to get like landlines and then Blackberries, and then iPhones, just like, just go to the iPhone stage, right? If you're importing iPhones. And so th- that's that's basically why I created Spin. It's like, let's just go to the iPhone era for Web3 and like skip all the crap that, that came before.
0: Awesome. That was a great way to, to wrap the section. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good sound fight. Awesome. Well, yeah. we'll go to our last section, which is app of the week. Uh, we'll start with Warren Warren. Do you have an app this week?
1: Yeah, I'll go super quick. Uh, my app of the week is a Web3 game I've been looking to play for a while uh, and just got access to. Uh, it's called Big Time. Um, listeners may have heard of it. It's one of, I'd say, the more hyped, uh, higher production value uh, games. Um, the founder of this company was one of the co-founders of Decentraland. Uh, so I just started playing it. It's it's TLDR is like a World of Warcraft-style game it's with a sci-fi time-traveling bent. Uh, and cel shaded graphics. Really pretty game. Just started playing it, not super deep yet. It looks like, you know, initially that it's going to be one of the early forerunners as far as like the quality bar that Web3 games are uh, able to hit. But a little too soon to say like final verdict on it. So that's, uh, that's what I've been diving into this week. And uh, we'll be going a lot deeper into it. It seems like it's got a pretty complex um, uh, ecosystem and gameplay loops.
0: Cool. Antonio, do you have an app this week? I definitely have
2: an app that I really like. Um, and again, full disclosure, I'm, I'm like a tiny investor in it. So I'm, I'm like, a, again, <laughs> talking your my book. <laughs> 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 right. Um, but you know, tiny investor, it's super cool. It's called Farcaster. Uh, you can find it at farcaster.xyz. It, it's a rather minimalist website and it's still in a closed alpha, but uh, they just raised a big round from A6 and Z. Speaking of which, um, the, uh, f- one of the founders or both founders actually are former, coin- early Coinbase. And basically imagine you took Twitter and you you rebuilt it on like fully Web3 blockchain lines, Mm. what would that look like? And that's what they've built. And um, if you use the app, it's gonna look remarkably like Twitter initially, but then when you start realizing it's like, oh wait, like there's all these other apps, there's this thing called Searchcaster, that's the search engine on top of it. There's like Placecaster, there's like a geo element, like tonight I'm actually going to like a meetup that was like Placecasted on the network. So basically imagine you actually, like whatever Jack Dorsey's vision for like a fully blockchainified Twitter would be that he never implemented for X, Y, and Z reason. Like that actually is what Farcaster is. And it's super cool. And the best thing about it right now, obviously, is the community. It's like a lot of early adopter crypto people. It's basically the circle of Coinbase people plus the investors plus everybody else. And so it's a really kind of interesting, intimate community. Like I, I'm going to the meetup because the users on it are so cool. And I just, right. it's it's something about it like. I've been asking myself the questions like for so long, it's like, why isn't there web three social media? Right. Cause it seems like in many cases it's an obvious mm-hmm. fit and right. yeah, anyway, there's a bunch of speculation as to why there is, or there isn't, but the fact that someone's actually trying to create it um, I think is really cool. So I, you know, I have to say, I use it. I use it pretty often actually.
1: Awesome. That's, that's a good one. I've heard about that, but that gave me a lot more context. Definitely want to dive in. Xander, you better have a good app this week. Your last few ones have been super weak. It's going to be like a clock
0: my, or something this my week. My app is really, really bad this week. So um, it's always, I'm out of apps Antonio. So my app this week is Stumble Guy, which is a mobile game that was acquired by uh, who at Scopely, a giant company, I want to see what they're paying a bajillion dollars for. So I booted up, very simple game, very simple gameplay, but you can tell it has like a little crack loop that's going to do really, really well on free to play. So, not particularly uh, exciting game, but interesting little one from uh, that Scopely acquired last week. Awesome. We're Out of time, um, Antonio, thank you so much for joining us. Very interesting conversation. I wish we could do another hour on analytics web three. I think there's still a lot of stuff that we didn't really get a chance to touch on, but I would love to. If I'm um, sure plenty of people get a hold of you, but if you want something to get a hold of you or learn more about spindle or your topics, how can they do that?
2: Yeah, um, I'm pretty unfortunately still pretty active on Twitter. So, Antonio GM uh, on Twitter, um, I have a Substack stack at the pull request.com. Uh, can email me too if you're interested in in the tool antonio at spindle.xyz or just go to spindle without the e dot xyz
0: as well awesome yeah one take a out.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for joining Antonio. This was uh, definitely most of the fun, one of the most fun episodes we got to do because we both got to do some shit talking and also get really into (laughs) the weeds which are two of our favorite things to do. Uh, So, as as always, uh, the podcast was brought to you by the folks at Uptick. Here at Uptick we do all things to help games grow with a big focus on Web3, which is why we like talking to people like Antonio. Uh, So we both do all of the services work of creating the ads, uh, building out the growth marketing strategy, executing on that. Uh, But we also have our platform, which is like a centralized hub for analytics and predictive modeling around all of your growth marketing and managing your creative workflows. So if any of that stuff sounds interesting, if you need a bolt on growth marketing org of people and tools, reach out to us at Uptick. That's UPPTIC.com. Talk
0: soon.